and Zappy drives a hybrid. But then again, maybe you should keep both hands on the wheel. Hands up who has a hybrid dog, a Labradoodle or a Cockapoo. My dog's a hybrid, which is really just an excuse to show those who follow the podcast on YouTube pictures of Dolly, who's a rescue from Serbia. A bit wired haired Vizsla and also a bit something else, I'm not quite sure. And so much more photogenic than me, face it. I'm a hybrid Nordic-Irish-Hungarian. Roses are all hybrids. The only purebred English rose is the dog rose, which grows wild. Hybridity is everywhere in nature. Now, thanks to the pandemic, hybridity is everywhere in learning too. And for some people, that's a problem. Welcome to The Learning Hack, a podcast about the people and technologies that are creating the future of learning. I'm John Helmer. Now, guess what? Learning is cool. Learning is cool. Learning is cool. I'm learning. Learning is fun. Knowledge is power. Knowledge. Education. Learning. In April, the Financial Times reported that the return of workers to offices in the UK had stalled for the first time since restrictions were lifted at the start of the year and may well have plateaued at around 25-30% to of capacity. Evidence from employers, transport authorities and the hit taken to city centre retailers is signalling a fundamental shift in work and living patterns as a result of the pandemic. Hybrid working is with us, it seems, for the foreseeable future. As is hybrid learning. This trend is a bit of a focus of anxieties in L&D, so we thought we'd invite a guest on the podcast who could give some help and advice to those in workplace learning struggling with the challenges presented by this slightly unexpected legacy of COVID. Kate Fitzgerald, Head of Fact, tell us about her. Hack Facts. Laura Lee Gibbs is founder of and strategic digital learning consultant at LearnFox. She works with organisations to provide digital learning solutions to both internal and external audiences. Her speciality is helping L&D to select the right learning system, and it was in this capacity that you had her on podcast in episode 30. So, Jay Curtis, Head of Themes, working from home in your home in the West. What did we have her talking about this time? In our last episode, John, your report from Learning Technologies Exhibition and Conference, you identified hybrid as quite a major theme in the industry at the moment. Speaker after speaker made reference to it, usually in negative terms, as something that was not only throwing up challenges, but that really seemed a little bit broken. As someone who works day to day with her clients in organisations on digital transformation, I wanted to hear from Laura how hybrid is playing out on the ground. Is it really a major source of concern? How is it influencing their behaviour and their digital strategies? Most of all, can hybrid learning actually be made to work? Doralee Gibbs, welcome to The Learning Hack. Your last appearance on the podcast was in October 2020, when, if I remember correctly, the UK was in full lockdown. I don't think we could say that COVID is now fully in the rearview mirror, but people are going back to the office, partially at least, and some aspects of working life are slowly getting back to something like normal. And we should say that many people have been attending their workplaces right through the crisis, nurses, delivery people, service sector, etc., 
Um, however, as regards to the return of offices for people in white-collar jobs, which is what we're really talking about when we talk about the return to offices, a report in the FT recently showed that the initial rate of return had slowed and perhaps even plateaued in the UK. So we're clearly a different world now um, with this group of workers, uh, the world of flexible working, Thursday is the new Friday, Tuesday is the new Monday. Uh, the world of hybrid is definitely with us. Uh, and the message came across very clearly at Learning Technologies exhibition I went to in May, that hybrid is a major challenge for L&D now. But speaker after speaker was saying, you know, hybrid isn't working. So to kick off, could you give us your reflections on the changes you've seen in your work with clients over the last two years and the sort of challenges hybrid is throwing up for learning professionals? Yeah, of course. So... Well, what I've seen over the last couple of years is obviously during the pandemic, organisations had to adapt really quickly to the challenges they were facing. So whatever learning they were they were delivering, they just had to get it rapidly on, online in whatever way they could. Um, so, you know, that meant in a lot of cases moving what was done face to face very quickly into virtual instructor led training sessions, just cobbling together, you know, whether that's um, teams or via Zoom or putting resources up on the Internet in some cases for those organisations that didn't already have an LMS, for example. Um, and what I've seen as people have gone back into the workplace and the hybrid working has has started is that now those organisations are really starting to look at well you know what they did to get by during the pandemic isn't good enough and they want to you know readdress their content strategy and how they can make the the content more engaging um, in a lot of cases they would have had new starters joining the organization and not meeting their teams um, that they work with face to face for you know for in some cases for for months many months um in fact and it's very difficult to engage those people into the culture of the organization um if the you know if the online training's just very dry and uh, you know they're missing out on all of that face to face uh, you know meeting different parts of the business and and really getting in, engaged um so in a lot of cases i've been speaking to organizations who who have this um, challenge now where they've adapted quickly at the time they've done the best that they could they've got by they've survived um and now it's you know very much about re-looking at what they've done in terms of their content and looking at how they need to make that better i've also seen um in a lot of cases that um you know organizations who maybe had an lms in place um and who again you know were in a better position than others that that didn't obviously because they already had that infrastructure in place to to rapidly you know train people in the way that they needed to during all those the, all the changes that happened um but perhaps the lms has lacked a bit of tlc and is not being optimized um, in the best way that it that it could for example um you know because people have had their mind on other things um so maybe it's lacked a bit of ownership or optimizing some of the um kind of native functionality that's there um, and then you've also got other organizations who were very fixated on well we need to get the a platform or the right technology in place now now that we've got a bit more time and maybe budget you know to to address this but they can be quite focused on the technology aspect and maybe not um, fully thinking about the wider strategy and the actual audience of who it's for and being very learner focused about it 
And obviously there's challenges for L&D, but also, um, you know, L&D need to think about what the challenges are for their learners and be very learner focused and ensuring that whatever solutions, whether content, technology, whatever they're getting in place is going to deliver what is needed for the learners in the best way to engage them. So I'm hearing that there is a bit of catch up to do in turn, when you talk about kind of induction of people who maybe haven't been in face to face situations at all. Um, are disconnected from the organisation and we, you know, we see this cross education and so on. In terms of the, the new changed um, situation we face with hybrid, what's, what's the actual problem there? I mean, are we talking specifically about synchronous training events where it might have been classroom, then it became uh, a kind of live virtual classroom and now we have a kind yeah. of mix of both or does it affect asynchronous learning as well well i think a lot of organizations who haven't had the time to step back and and think about the strategy have opted to go for more synchronous um, training without fully kind of realizing the benefits of asynchronous and what that can do for them so for example i'm working with one organization at the moment whose trainers and SMEs are spending the vast majority of their week on countless, um, you know, virtual ILT sessions, delivering the same content. Well, in fact, not the same because consistency is obviously a, a real problem in, in the fact that it's, you know, delivered in this way. Um, mm. And also inducting um, new starters and, and kind of giving them virtual FaceTime with senior members of the business um, but that's not the best use of these people's time. It's not necessarily adding the most value, you know, and the asynchronous aspects need, need to be factored in so that, um, you know, as, as well as it's so important to engage people and have that, you know, face time with key members of the business, of course, but some of it can be done by video asynchronously. You know, you can have be inducted to um, you know, the environment, the working environment that, that you're going to be working in, even if you haven't seen it um, in person as yet. And you can get to understand what key members of the business do via video. And then maybe have like Q&A sessions run by that individual where the new starters can, you know, come in and actually be ready to ask some questions instead of, you know, tumbleweed when, when they have the opportunity. So I think, um, you know, I, I think probably organizations haven't had the chance to really step back and take a breath well they, they're doing that now to think how can they better optimize you know all of what digital learning can offer them in making the better use of asynchronous and synchronous to optimize people's time yeah so there's in a way it's thrown an extra dimension into the mix you have to think about your your synchronous and your asynchronous you have to think about the people who are working remotely and the people who are in the office. Uh, so it's more complicated for strategy, I, I, I suppose. And Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So your speciality, I think I'm right in saying, is helping people buy the right technology and the right learning systems to meet their learners', learners needs. How does hybrid change the sort of technology they might need or, or perhaps just the way that they deploy that technology? Mm -hmm. So I think more than changing the technology that organisations need, it changes the approach they need to take to choosing the right technology. So I, and I think 
it does that in a couple of ways. So one is having the right mindset. So this is the organizational mindset that in L&D about how they're approaching selecting the right um, technology. So this is, um, for example, starting with the strategy rather than the solution. So instead of thinking, that was really hard, we need to get the right tech in place now. It's stepping back and taking a more holistic view. So it's not just technology, it's also people and content and the technology and how they all intersect together. Um, and then the other part of this is also thinking about your strategy in terms of getting technology that can be future proof for your organization and the strategy. So where you want to be in, in the next couple of years. So you know, it's right to take things a step at a time and improve on, on where you are now. So wherever you are in your particular journey, but where do you want to get to? What's the vision in the strategy? And how does that align with making sure that your technology you're choosing is future-proof? So that's thinking about some of the functionality that a platform might give you that quite rightly, you might not want to use from day one um, because you're probably not quite ready yet, but how you might want to um, use some functionality within your activation and kind of ongoing and engagement strategies around it. So that might be things like, can it facilitate um, user generated content, which might not be something you're going to do on the first day that you launch it. Um, you know, are there social learning capabilities to get people engaging with one another, sharing experiences with their peers, um, that type of thing. Maybe is there functionality around, you know, having a really powerful AI um, natural language search that can help people surface the learning um, that they need in the moment they need it in the flow of work. Um, you know, a lot of these things you might not be turning on, at, you know, when you first launch, but year, year two, year three definitely you know could be could well be in in your strategy and i think that's really important to have that future proofing view so the right mindset thinking holistically about the strategy and thinking about the timeline and future proofing the technology uh, they've always been important but i think now they're more important than ever because people have been shown how rapidly things can change and how volatile um you know the world can be i was yes yeah, so i was going to say a lot of that what you've just said, you possibly might have said to people two years ago when, you know, in, when facing yeah. up to a kind of a, a procurement. How does hy hybrid actually alter that? Or does it make it more important that they take a strategic holistic view? Does it have particular kind of edges to it now that it didn't before? How much is the advice that you give changed, do you think, according to hybrid? I think that the whole engagement of your people becomes so much more key because you you know people are dispersed aren't they so they're not mm. all in the same location you know depending on the you know people aren't always in the same location but they tend to be a bit you know before um there was more FaceTime wasn't there so um in the physical sense of of that so now people are more dispersed um you know like i mentioned people are starting and joining businesses and uh you know without all of that um induction and, and you know actually kind of getting ingratiated into the whole company culture and so you're having to well indeed you're having to engage people much more quickly and get them into the um, organizational culture um, 
so that you know to avoid that kind of churn in the first six months where you know mm. the job market's really strong as well at the moment so there's a you know there's no shortage of jobs for people that are skilled um in in you know specific niche areas so yeah i mean i think the engagement strategy like like you said that kind of wider strategy has always been important it would have been important a couple of years ago but it's even more important now okay and what kind of extra requirements does this throw on the technology? Um, without, I'm not blowing my own trumpet here necessarily, but a while ago I wrote a paper about um, learning systems and how they had changed over the last couple of decades from being solely centred on an administrative system to something which now is uh, purported to uh, create a learner experience um, and in some of the more sophisticated systems um, has elements of uh, learning design built into it in in a way that, you know, the original first sort of LMSs were mainly focused on the kind of administration side. Um, So against that kind of long-term change in learning systems, what kind of spin has this new situation of hybrid thrown into the mix? Or does it does it actually have to change at all because of that or i think um you know what what we've seen in the vendor market is there's been a lot of acquisitions going on um you know whether that's um kind of vendors adding other tools into their suite so that they can offer you know a more um you know a, a bigger suite of solutions i suppose to to organizations um or whether it's vendors getting more partnerships with content providers um so that when um organizations are actually um you know starting with a system it's not empty and that there's plenty of content that they can then pull in to curate and, and if you're going to have maybe more decentralized administration of a system mm-hmm. and um authoring of a system which you you know might be more likely now in in the hybrid world um you're going to want to make it as easy as possible for people for for lots of different dispersed admins to do that um and not starting from scratch so those content um partnerships are really powerful and and the ability to kind of curate external content in with your own um what I think a challenge can be for some of the kind of big enterprise um, platforms is that the admin side can be really clunky on those systems. But then, you know, some of those bigger vendors are then acquiring some, you know, others and kind of I, I don't know what that's going to look like if they're going to, you know, merge um, the functionality or whether it's just going to be kind of suites of of different products. But I think um you know, it kind of depends on the organization and the individual use case, because having a suite of products from one vendor, you know, can have its benefits, of course, but also perhaps having a pick and mix approach of using different tools and, you know, platforms to to get what you're trying to do in the most kind of agile way can Mm. also, you know, work. I think it depends on the size of the organization a lot and on what kind of resource internally they've got to manage it. And, you know, if their culture even is at the point where they can have that kind of decentralized administration and, you know, whether they're at a point in their transformation to to bring that in yet. 
you look at a lot of systems uh, in the course of your work, I'd, I'd imagine. How well has the vendor market in general coped with the change needs of the market when it comes to hybrid? Because it has come up rather quickly in in the, the terms of the kind of decision scales on which these large companies work. I mean, major systems can be a bit slow to change. They also have their own agendas to, about about the acquisitions, which are kind of linked to, you know, how they're funded, what the VCs or the private capital companies want from them. Have they been wrong-footed by this? I'm not expecting you to kind of dob anyone in particularly, maybe mention no names. What's your general feeling about how the vendor market has, has coped with this change to hybrid? I think... Um... You know, like we've seen, we've seen a lot of acquisitions going on. Um, and I think the smaller, you know, a lot of the smaller suppliers have jumped on this whole bandwagon of, you know, calling themselves an LXP or an LMS slash LXP hybrids or whatever. Um, knowing that that's what organisations are, are, you know, being led to believe that they need um, to jump into. Um, and it almost makes the, that kind of classification a bit meaningless now, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I mentioned with the with the content providers and more partnerships going on, I think that's been something that I've seen a lot of the vendors doing more. You know, that that is becoming a key part of their proposition so that they're able to offer a fuller um, offering to their to their customers. I think probably where where they have been probably most wrong-footed though as you say is probably more around not being able to offer perhaps the strategic consultancy that can help an organization actually pull together their wider strategy because the vendors can be more focused on the software and the content and less focused on the services they provide so and that strategic consultancy piece is is more important than it ever was probably now because of the different challenges um you know and the complexity and you know i i think that's probably an area that is is potentially missing um and where vendors you know they might have a suite of products but that's not helping the organizations think about the wider strategy necessarily of how they're going to utilize those and optimize those in the, in their particular use case and and business. Luckily, there are people like you around to to help fill that vacuum, perhaps. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to ask a question now, which is going to seem to be arguing in the opposite direction. And I'm kind of aware that I, I do this quite often. Uh, it, it, this is slightly complicated. So sorry, bear with me. I, the thing we've heard for years from people like David Wilson and so on is that uh, the LMS isn't basically a, a, a particularly difficult piece of kit to build it's really quite a simple uh, in technological terms um, thing to do and um, the difference between the uh, smaller or mid-market systems and the really large systems is that the large systems deal with complexity around you know from multi um, national organization uh, doing all that kind of business of administration within different territories and different jurisdictions. So you might have, for instance, uh, different rules around um, how you use uh, learners' data in Germany and in the US. Um, smaller systems can't necessarily cope with all that complexity. The bigger ones can, and that's what you pay the extra for. Um, 
Now, yeah. what it seems to me is that with the in the hybrid world, you are kind of adding a layer of complexity, as it were, to what formerly was perhaps more a more simple situation. So is it possible that this plays towards the larger, more established players in a way, in the, in the sense that they have more kind of comp- complex, sophisticated systems if you're adding, or is this, you know, just too um, stupid and a typical Helmer uh, kind of speculation, does the, the, the fact that more complexity is now needed play towards the, the bigger, more established players, do you think? As you say, the, the, the smaller startups have been yeah. quicker off the mark to respond. But when it comes to dealing with kind of a global need, are you going to need a big platform to do it? So how, what kind of complexities are you thinking that, uh, you know, well, that those bigger... Well, just the general point is the configurability, you know, the, 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 the fact yeah. that you can cope with kind of, you know, remote workforces, different territories. You have the ability to customise that much. Now we have a system where you've got a different type of audience, perhaps, in the people who work from home, from the people who work in the office, and you need to kind of... Yeah. I just wonder, though, if you're just because you're working from home, you're still part of the same audience group that you were before, even when you were in the office. So you might be, Mm. you know, in a certain country, in a certain region, in a certain department, in a certain role. So you're still part of all those same kind of group hierarchies that you would have been, um, you know, previous to working from home. It's just that you're sat in a different room in a different building, Mm. you know, on a different chair. But your experience of the of the platform and of what L and D are delivering to you and making available to you is still going to be the same because you still sit in the same place within the theoretical organization, you know, even if not physically. So so I'm not sure that it that it, you know, that it particularly does kind of um, change that. Hmm. Perhaps, yeah, and uh, there there will be digital nomads who think, well, if I don't have to work in the office, I might as well be working in from Sri Lanka. But those are going to be kind of a smaller number of uh, people, I suppose. In the struggle against the forgetting curve that learning people are engaged in every day, there are no magic formulas, but there is science. For well over a century, psychologists have known that the spacing effect unlocks deep learning and helps learners power through to peak performance. And yet, who uses it, despite the fact that modern learning systems like LXPs make it almost easy? I've written a white paper with Learning Pool that shows how you can use the spacing effect to beat the forgetting curve. Download it now. The Learning Hack podcast is supported by Learning News, the learning sector's newswire. Rob and his team are good friends of the podcast and we really value the help and advice we've had from them and they do a great job. For the very latest news from around the learning sector, for interviews with learning leaders, the latest from learning sector vendors and features on workplace learning, go to learningnews.com. So looking at the sort of processes you take people through in getting the right tech for their needs, you you have a whole structure and, and, and way of approaching this. Uh, we, we kind of touched on this before, but more specifically, have your processes or those processes that you're looking with changed with the move to hybrid? If they have, do you have to put extra steps in there? Or is it a matter of that good advice you were always giving 
is now more relevant than ever. Yeah, I, I think the second, actually, um, because although the business challenges will be different, you know, for, for every organisation, the use case will be different. Um, the steps that are needed to go through to ensure the right decisions are made are still the same, really. So, you know, in terms of really thinking about the wider strategy, where you are now, where you're trying to get to a realistic timeline for change um, and the stages of transition that you might go on, then really understanding your audience. So really understanding. So, I mean, this this one will be different for organisations now than it was for the same organisation a couple of years ago, because the audience's challenges will be different. Mm. Um, but it's really, you know, employing a bit of design thinking into empathising and, and getting in the shoes of, of your audiences, understanding what their common challenges are and what is going to motivate them. So those two things will look different now. So it might mean that more effort is needed to to understand that. So, you know, um, user surveys, learner surveys, interviewing key business stakeholders, um, you know, who, trainers, SMEs, people in L&D, people across the business who are responsible for training um, and really understanding from them in detail those challenges that they're having, because that's going to impact on what your audiences need and then ultimately what kind of functionality might be needed within a learning platform and how the content needs to be better designed to engage them to to do what they need to learn how to do. Um, so I think there, there might be more steps in terms of what an organisation wants to do in terms of getting into the shoes and mindset of their audience to really understand them. Because the, the, the situation is more complicated, you need to work through that. You need to perhaps research the, the user. Yeah. And the user personas and user stories a bit a bit more exactly. thoroughly. So, so, yeah, yeah. So I think, um, but it's just you know it's probably not enough for L and D to think about the user personas and the user stories themselves from their own experience or what they think or the, you know going from their assumptions. So yeah. they need to challenge their assumptions by really you know speaking to those users and really getting into the shoes of them and also that plays into um kind of piloting things and getting an mvp mm. out and actually getting things into the hands of the users quicker to get some vital feedback because what i think assumptions you know whatever assumptions you you had will be challenged by you know the reality of, of how things actually are you know if, for people out there i do that that Absolutely makes sense, I think, because uh, so many new, we, we, we've been in a very new situation over the last couple of years, so many new problems and challenges have come up that, that you probably didn't anticipate. And you've seen such things such as, uh, I know teachers have said to me that they're, they're everything having to be virtual in terms of the teaching for a while, really sharp and sort of... Um, class divides and so on, so that some kids just didn't have a computer or there was one computer in the house and yeah. somebody had to use it to work on. So they had to share time between working and learning. I mean, I mean even in, you know, a lot of middle-class households, this, this, this has been the case, uh, whereas other people might have their own room, you know, and you hear about people, young people in organisations working from home, having a lot of difficulty because of their lack of space and they're kind of balancing a laptop 
uh, on their lap, sitting on a bed, yeah. trying to do. It's not the same as someone like me who's got a garden room with a, you know, these computers um, yeah. set up. And those aren't things you can second guess. In other words, it needs research. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I did a, a big project with a multi academy trust who were running twenty schools, and um, and this was last year, and. Actually, one of the key things that came out of that um, from doing a lot of um, surveys and um, business stakeholder interviews mm. was, um, like you say, some of those key kind of hard hardware issues that, you know, people not having access to laptops and, you know, Wi-Fi, like you say, multiple people um, in lockdowns all using the Wi-Fi at home, for example. But I think another thing that was really interesting is that actually not to ignore the things that did go well so actually to ensure that you when you're doing this kind of interview process make sure you're saying what has been working like since the you know you've had to adapt during the pandemic what's worked really well and what do you want to take from that and see more of and you know because not everything um has just been a kind of make do and survive there have been real um success stories of certain strategies and things that have worked better and it's yeah. important i think not to ignore those and to actually you know take those forward and you know and to kind of make people realize and and uh, you know feel appreciated for doing a good job you know and building on that So, Laura, there's a perception in the industry that hybrid isn't working for learning. But how often do you find now clients coming to you with this as a priority challenge? You know, hybrid isn't working. We need to nail it. Does that come up a lot with your clients? No, I, I don't find that that is a priority objective for clients that I'm talking to at all. Um, so what I find the are the key challenges that, that I'm hearing about are that people had to adapt really quickly in whatever way they could cobbling together what they could using the tools that they had in place whether that was an lms or not um and now they finally had that time to kind of step back and think well we either need to engage our users um, our learners um better and rethink um, how we're delivering our content so it's not you know still an appropriate use of people's time to just be doing um, you know the kind of live virtual instructor-led stuff and they need to think about different approaches like flipped classroom and um, you know having more on demand and asynchronous um, content um, or it's about maybe optimizing the platform that they've had in place and that's a bit stale um, and making better use of the functionality to, to you know, enhance the user experience. Um, yeah, or you, but usually it's because they've gone off on one um, kind of route, and that might be being very fixated on, we need a platform, or we need to digitize our content, but they're just not thinking about the bigger picture because they haven't had time to until now um and so i that's that's really what i'm seeing and you know the the kind of key challenges are around a lot of new starters joining the business and just not getting um you know kind of engaged with the company culture um because they're just not meeting their team at all um but that's probably the key a key common challenge to lots of different businesses in different industries um but it doesn't tend to be a kind of key driver that organizations are saying hybrid's not 
not working what can we do it's just no it's not okay so it's more about where they were before the pandemic hit in terms of a lot of them weren't you know that far advanced up the curve then suddenly they had to move really quickly and now they're sort of picking up the pieces and trying to work out how to make it work in a new situation rather than this perception hybrid isn't working which which seems to be widespread in in the in the conference circuit perhaps isn't necessarily there on the ground interesting Mm. thanks it might it might be connected to people just having that kind of fatigue of doing so much online you know because all our meetings are online and things but you know i think even with that there's ways of using different delivery methods so that you don't have to always have a meeting to discuss everything if you're trying to move an idea on with colleagues you can you know do a quick video for a few minutes and share that and people can all have watched that before you have the meeting so you know i think there's loads of different things that are actually very applicable to to the way we deliver learning um but i think it just might be a general fatigue um with hybrid working and so so much online and kind of you know looking at people on a screen so what are your top tips for making sure uh if you're off head of L&D in a company um, or working as a learning professional with a company for making sure that you have the right tech systems for learning in a hybrid environment? Um, so top tips would be, um, so I think, think like a product manager rather than a project manager. So this mm-hmm. plays into that whole start with a minimum viable product. So whatever it is, whether it's, you know, you're just... Um, trying out a new way of delivering some content or whether it's you know launching a new platform whatever it is always start with you know your mvp and get that into the hands of your users as quickly as possible so that you can get their feedback and their input into it and refine what you're doing so definitely think like a product manager and not a project manager where you're perhaps planning and planning and planning and kind of getting trying to get to perfection before getting something out there um because i think that input from from the you know actual learners themselves is is really vital um i think um with the content side of things remember that um you know with digital learning it's not just e-learning you know it's not just SCORM packages and there's so much more that you can do with digital learning in, in terms of kind of micro learning and utilizing lots of different delivery formats that can speed up getting to a point of getting good content out to people. And it can also help with that decentralized um, content creation aspect as well, because you're not having a learning curve of people having to know how to use external authoring tools. Um, And also it's accessible because you can make it all searchable and more serviceable in the flow of work as well. Um, Mm. And I think thinking about your content strategy up front as to what kind of um, delivery formats are you going to want to use and what kind of native functionality within a platform um, is going to facilitate the the delivery that you want as well is really, really key. Um, so, so yeah, content strategy, then really getting into the shoes of your audience and doing all that work up front to, to understand what their challenges are. Uh, I hear what you're saying about the MVP and get it out there, 
get feedback, iterate kind of approach. Is there always a slight yeah. danger in that, that when you go for an, an MVP, uh, typically you de-scope. So you kind of knock some of the bells and whistles off. And there is a tendency to concentrate. Let's just get something out there that fulfills the 70 to 80 percent mm-hmm. of need. And then the thing that gets knocked off the edge is that, oh, we have these remote learners who are working at home. Maybe we haven't catered for them because we just want to get the big, simple thing working. Is that a danger to avoid? Yeah, well, I mean, I think you probably need to, you know, think of MVPs in terms of for a particular audience. So, you know, clearly those people working at home can't be ignored because that's a key challenge at the moment. So it might be that you're launching um, your system in an MVP capacity, but when you're thinking about the content that you'll be launching with, you're making sure that all of your key audience groups are catered for. And you're just, rather than thinking about all of the content that you need to get onto your platform, you're just focusing on some key um, kind of pieces that can add the most value, but not ignoring any of your audience groups. Because, yeah, I mean, depending on your, um, I suppose, objectives of, of what you're doing, but no doubt the remote workers and, you know, the hybrid workforce will be a key part of that. Mm. Thanks very much for, for, for that. I think it's been a really interesting um, quick scamper through some of the issues around hybrid and it's certainly kind of upped my level of understanding of, of, of the challenges. Lastly, what's the best place or places to go for people who need some help with hybrid and want to find out more? Um, so I've developed a um, diagnostic tool that um, can be a real help to understanding an organization's readiness to selecting the right platform. So it's totally free, takes a couple of minutes or three minutes, no more than that to, to complete 20 quick fire questions. And it will give some tailored, personalized um results about what you should be thinking about in terms of your strategy um, and some actionable steps so there's so there's that diagnostic tool um there's also a clinic that i provide that can help an organization and key stakeholders align get together and actually consider those key areas of the people content technology and um you know an actionable kind of roadmap of of what that what they need to do in terms of their digital learning transformation. One aspect of that might be, you know, selecting a platform, but there's there's many other aspects um, that will come out in that strategy. And then um, thirdly, I've created an online academy called the Learn Fox Den that's got lots of how-tos and downloadable templates um, and content around going through a digital learning transformation. So including things like digitizing content and um, platform selection and the art of the possible in terms of um, what is achievable. And those can be found on the Learn Fox website. Okay, and we'll put links to all those in show notes uh, for people. So thank you very much for, for taking the time today. Thank you. That's all on the Learning Hack podcast for this time. Many thanks to Laura and to our sponsors, Learning Pool. The Learning Hack is completely independent and transparently funded by sponsorship. If you want to help others find us, please like, follow, rate, review and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice or on YouTube. 
Our next episode tells a fascinating story about learning in a part of the world that has been much in the news recently, and not in a good way. It's called Georgia on My Mind, but this isn't the Georgia sung about by Ray Charles and James Brown. It's the other one. Stay curious, learning people. Now I finally get it.